I have found that on the subject that we're going to look at, I've preached on it often. I've preached on this subject here often. But I'm finding that sometimes uh, drawing some pictures helps immensely. And uh, folk that uh, I have uh, preached on this truth to often have said to me afterwards, I'm getting it much more now uh, through the pictorial help. So we'll ask the Spirit of God to uh, use that. And uh, Romans chapter 7 is what I want us to look at. At uh, two verses that are almost alike, and they're rather amazing. All right, Romans chapter 7, beginning in verse 17. It says, Now then, it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. Now, what's he talking about? Well, let's back up. He says in verse 14, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. For that which I do, I allow not. For what I would, that I, I do not, that do I not. But what I hate, that I do. If then I do that which I would not, I consent unto the law that it is good. All right, he's talking about this dilemma where we want to do what's right, and we do the opposite. We do what's wrong. And we don't want to do what's wrong, and... Uh, I mean, we, uh, we said it backwards. We do want to do what's right, but we end up doing what's wrong, what's wrong. We don't want to do what's wrong, and yet we do it anyway, and so on. And so there's this frustration. And so he says in verse 17, Now then, it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. Now, how many parties are involved in verse 17? Two. We're all a bunch of schizophrenics. That's amazing. There's two parties in this verse. Now let's read on here. Uh, verse 18, For I know that in me that is in my flesh dwelleth no good thing. For to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good I find not. For the good that I would, I do not. But the evil which I would not, that I do. Now let me ask you, have you ever felt that? Have you ever experienced what he's saying here? <laughs> oh my... I mean, it's just going opposite. And so he explains again in verse 20. Now, if I do that I would not, it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. Again, let me ask you, according to verse 20, how many parties are involved in that? There's two. Two people, we might say, when I say parties. Uh, I know that word has other connotations, too. Uh, but... Uh, there's two. And it goes on. The title of the message is Identity Crisis. <laughs> Let's pray. Lord, we need your help. Open our eyes. Give us understanding to the dilemma of this identity crisis and to the solution. Ah, oh, Spirit of God, would you be our teacher? Lord, I thank you for what we've already heard today. Lord, we thank you for the rich truth uh, demonstrated uh, in the life of Jehoshaphat. And Lord, I pray that we would see the New Testament uh, underlying foundation for this. And so, Lord, I pray that you just meet with us in this hour. I do plead the blood which you protect us from the attack of the evil one who so seeks to deceive and to cloud our understanding of this. And so, Lord Jesus, once again, I claim our position in you at the throne far above all principality and power. 
In your name, we hold up your blood and exercise your authority over the attack of the enemy. And uh, we trust you that he not be allowed to hinder. Now, Lord, we look to you. We thank you that your Lord, that Satan is defeated. Would you manifest that now? And Lord, would you just open our understanding and just burn truth deep within our hearts that the foundation for faith would be deep and bedrock and would make a radical difference. And may we know it even in this very day in our experience. Lord, we just thank you for it. Do what man cannot do. We cast ourselves upon you. In Jesus' name, amen. Several years ago, my wife became aware of a company called LifeLock. Have you ever heard of it? All right. It's a company that uh, deals with uh, um, protecting your identity. There is a great problem worldwide of identity theft, where somebody uh, finds out somebody else's name, and I don't know what it all is that they uh, are looking for, but they take on that person's identity. And because we travel as much as we do, uh, the, uh, we've, uh, we've actually uh, purchased this, whatever protection it is, that they do to protect from fraud and identity theft, and uh, especially uh, with uh, our son and so on. And so uh, we do this. Why? Because we want to protect that identity. Now, in this passage before us, uh, we have... Uh, really a that kind of dilemma uh, in the spiritual realm. And what I want us to see from the Scripture today is just the simplicity and really the, the urgency and the necessity of claiming your identity. Now, how can you come to this confidence? Well, I want us to understand from the Scripture today four concepts that can help us then claim our identity. And to do this, I want to draw a few pictures. The first concept is what we'll call the old identity. The old identity. Now, obviously, we, uh, we live in physical bodies. These are our cartons. Uh, the real us is, is, is our soul, your mind, affections, and your will. And your soul, uh, within your soul is your spirit. So your soul and spirit would be the immaterial part of you. Okay, and so that's what we're going to be dealing with here in a moment. We're going to deal with the immaterial part of us primarily. But when it comes to our old identity, uh, we're going to use some concentric circles to help us understand body, soul, and spirit here for a moment. All right, this first circle is representative of body. Now, maybe it should have been larger, but nonetheless, uh, uh, this, uh, this is the, uh, the outer circle. We're a little... Uh, out of shape here. We'll get this a little bit rounder if we can. So much for the PowerPoint. All right, there we go. Ah, there's body. And uh, on the next level, we have soul. And there in the innermost level, we have spirit. Now, our old identity, uh, God is outside. And so we are separated from God. Uh, the Bible says in Ephesians 2.1 that we are dead in trespasses and sins. Now, do not get the wrong idea when it says dead there. The idea is not a corpse. The word death means separation. Uh, there is a reality where prior to our salvation, we are separated from God. We're dead to God. We're separated from God. But it says dead in trespasses and sins. 
The guy's reveling. Now, what we really have is in our innermost being. Here's the human spirit. Uh, this is described in several passages in the New Testament as the old man. It's not your dad. Uh, <laughs> it is this unregenerated spirit. This spirit that is dead to God, that is separated from God, but is very much alive to sin. Now, it says there in verse 7 and in verse 20, sin which dwelleth in me. Let me shorten that, and we'll call it indwelling sin. And according to Romans uh, chapter 6, and uh, really Romans 6 through 8, it talks about us uh, having a provision so that we don't serve sin. So that sin is being personified as a master that you can serve. Okay, and what I want us to see here is that prior to salvation, we're in a union, we're in a connection here with indwelling sin. Prior to salvation, sin is our master. We're in an actual union here. We're dead to God, but we're alive to sin. We're separated from God, but we're in an actual union with indwelling sin. That's a bad union. But sin is our master. And this is why uh, the Bible says that the plowing of the wicked, this is not coming across nearly as clearly as I'm wanting it to. Let me start over, all right? Not the whole message. <laughs> yes, we know how to make messages longer. All right. Can you see that? It's getting kind of thin. I'll use a red marker. There we go. Okay, and we have this overlap here in the middle. This is what I'm trying to get us here to. And here's indwelling sin. All right, there we go. So here's our unregenerated spirit. Here's indwelling sin, and we're in a union. Now, the Bible says in the book of Proverbs that the plowing of the wicked is sin. The reason it says that is that everything that an unsaved person does, I mean all of it, uh, the best, charitable, uh, most humanitarian, good things that an unsaved person does, they do in union with sin. So it defiles it. It taints it. It uh, shows that it's self-righteousness, uh, self-dependence, producing self-righteousness, which according to Isaiah 64 is a filthy rag that falls short of the glory of God everything that an unsaved person does. Now, that's amazing. You know, because generally we think, well, they have good deeds and bad deeds. No, they don't have any good deeds. That's only a human concept because everything that an unsaved person does is connected to sin. It's not a good deed. It's a filthy rag in the sight of God. And as we said uh, yesterday, self-righteousness is the only sin that can keep a person out of heaven. It is... It is, that's what God thinks of it. Uh, it is a filthy rag. And so we have this partnership where we're serving in dwelling sin. Sin is the master. We're in a union. We're separated from God. We're dead to God. We're alive to sin. We're actually joined to indwelling sin. It's a bad relationship. That is our old identity. Wow. That's a bad one. Now, the good news is 
is that when you believe on Jesus, according to Galatians 2.20, according to Romans chapter 6, uh, the moment you believe on Jesus, God identifies you in Christ, therefore in His history, therefore in His death. Now, this is important. You see, the only way out of this relationship, this union, this marriage-like relationship with indwelling sin, the only way out, the only way out is for one of these partners to die. And so, Galatians 2.20, I am crucified. There it is, with Christ. You see, Christ died for us, Romans 5.8. That means we die in Him, the person of our substitute. Okay, 1 Corinthians 15.3 says Christ died for our sins. All right, only He can do that. But somehow, there needs to be a death unto sin. Somehow there needs to be a death, a separation from indwelling sin. Now look, Christ died for us, He died for our sins, but we need a death unto sin. We can't do that on our own. It has to be through Jesus. And according to Romans chapter 6 and verse 10, Jesus died unto sin. Now, that's different than dying for our sins. You see, on the cross, on crucifixion day, you remember that for three hours, from 12 noon to 3 in the afternoon, the entire earth was darkened. You remember toward the close of those three hours, one of the words of Christ on the cross was, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why did he say that? Friends, in those hours, God the Son was separated from God the Father. See, the word death means separation. See, God the Son was separated from God the Father. Why? Because he came into an actual union with our sin. Now friends, try to let this sink in. This is astounding. I believe this is why Jesus uh, uh, had the agony in the Garden of Gethsemane. He was not shrinking back from the cross. No, He came to save sinners. He was shrinking back from how it had to be. That He had to be separated from the Father. That the sinless, spotless Lamb of God would be separated from the Father and come into contact with the stink and filth and rot of this world, in fact, of us. In actual contact, He became sin for us, the Scripture says. No wonder He cried out, My God, my God, why hast Thou forsaken me? He was separated, death, separated from the Father, because He was in union with us and with our sin. But at the end of those three hours, He cried with a loud voice, It is finished! And friends, at that moment, <laughs> he died unto sin, Romans 6.10. Now, when you believe on Jesus, the moment you do, you're placed into him. 
You are identified with Him in Him, therefore in His history, therefore in His death. And at that moment, you're crucified with Christ. And at that moment, there is a separation, a death to indwelling sin, a death to this old identity. Man, hallelujah. Not only do we die with Christ, we're raised with Christ, the new man. So that we might be married, Romans 7, 4, to another, even to him who is raised from the dead. So, let's draw a second picture here as we begin now on our second concept of the new identity. Now, what happens is, the moment we believe on Jesus, there is an actual cut, a separation, a severance, a death to indwelling sin. Now we can see that very clearly over here. And God is no longer out here. God moves in. You see, the human spirit is regenerated. It is called a new creation in 2 Corinthians 5.17. It is called the seed of God in 1 John 3, 9. Literally the sperma of God. Literally something of God's own nature is implanted into you. And according to Ephesians 4, uh, it is called the new man which is created after God in righteousness and true holiness. So that the, the human spirit, when it is regenerated, is, is something of God's own nature implanted into you. It is therefore righteous and it is holy. It has to be because God is no longer out here. God moves into it. That's why it has to be righteous and holy. And so God regenerates, the Spirit of God regenerates that human spirit. It is created now after God. In righteousness and true holiness. And then the Spirit of God moves in. And that's why we have a dotted line here. It didn't come across very well here. We have a dotted line here. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 6, 17, He that is joined to the Lord is one Spirit. So now, we're no longer dead to God and alive to sin, separated from God and joined to sin. Now... We're dead to sin. Do you see it? We're separated from indwelling sin. And we're alive to God. That is, we're joined to the indwelling Christ. Really, that's what we're dealing with here. So we have a radical change of identity. Formerly, we're joined to indwelling sin. Now, we're joined to the indwelling Christ. Now notice, sin still seeks to operate within our bodies. Sin cannot sin without a body. Are you with me? You look like deer with headlights. <laughs> All right. uh, <laughs> uh, the body is the field for the activity of sin. And yet this same body, when we're redeemed, is called the temple of the Holy Spirit. It's still under the curse. Now, to get technical here for a second... The human spirit is completely saved. It has to be. It's the seed of God. <laughs> it's righteous. It's holy. It's completely saved. Now, it's the soul that is to be being saved. We call that sanctification. The body's not saved at all. 
and won't be till it's glorified. Therefore, don't give it a chance. Now, in the soul level, the soul level, of course, is your mind, your affections, and your will. There's more to it, but just to keep it simple, uh, that's yourself, that's your personality. And uh, because of what you understand in your mind and what you allow uh, in your mind that you understand to affect you, your affections, what you get convinced of, then you can make choices. Now, you remember in Romans 6.11, it says, Likewise, reckon ye uh, yourselves to be dead, separated, indeed, unto sin. All right? Now, the whole, the big deal is, when you believed on Jesus, this union was broken, you were separated, you died with Christ, you were crucified with Christ, you were raised with Christ the new man, and the Holy Spirit moved in. And when it says reckon, that is a command to come to the right conclusion that this really is so. But I want you to understand something. It's in the passive voice. What that means is, it's not something you do, it's something you allow to be done. And God is commanding us, the first command in Romans chapter 6 is reckon. Allow yourself to be convinced that this is so. Why? Because God said it. Because a lot of times people say, well, okay, I'm reckoning. Mm. (laughs) It's not how it works. God, I need you to convince me. I'm going to tell you something. There are people in this room that are defeated. You've been defeated for years. And you've heard truth after truth after truth after truth. And you're still defeated. And it doesn't have to stay that way. And you can think, well, you know, I've heard all this preaching. I've tried this. It's not working. Whatever. I, you know, I, I just can't do it. I know you can't do it. I can't either. So cry out to God and ask the Spirit of God to sink it all the way in so that you are convinced of this bedrock reality. You are separated from indwelling sin. You are joined to the indwelling Christ. That is so. God lives in you. Man, hallelujah. He moved in. Not only did He move in, you're in Him. In other words, the moment you believed, you were placed into Christ, and Christ placed His Spirit into you. And for every time that the Bible talks about God in us, there are ten times that it talks about us in Him. Whoa. And friends, Jesus is at the throne. And as we heard preached earlier on Sunday, a fire above all principality and power and might and dominion, and every name that is named, and we're in Him. And just as we're sitting here, or for me standing, in Tala, Ireland, physically, in the spiritual dimension, you're at the throne. It's not figurative, it's literal. It's just that in the spiritual realm, there are not the physical boundaries that we know In the physical realm. In the spiritual realm, you're there. And He's in you. We are connected to throne life. Now friends, these are big things. And they make radical difference if we're convinced of them. And so the command of Romans 6-11 is, Let the Spirit convince you. Allow yourself to be convinced. To be persuaded by the persuader. By the convincer. And friends, I'm telling you, when he opens your eyes to this, it's shouting truth. We've talked about that, the hanky-waving truth. Okay, but I'm telling you, it is. It really is. So there's a new identity. Wow. God's in us, and he that is joined to the Lord is one spirit. You know, God never cuts himself off. 
That's amazing. He that has joined the Lord once buried. That's why we have the dotted line here. This is amazing. In the innermost part of our being, we've got God. And He wants to work through our faculties, through our soul, through our body. And there's the filled life and then the overflowing life to others. And uh, all of that provision is in what we're seeing right here. And in your soul level, you can make choices. When you're convinced of what is so, then you can yield to the Spirit. See, in the soul, we can either yield to that former master who's not our master, or we can yield to the new master who is our master. All right? Now, that brings us to the third concept. First concept is your old identity. You're joined to indwelling sin. The new concept, or the, uh, yeah, the, uh, the second concept is your new identity. You're separated from indwelling sin, and you're joined to the indwelling Christ. That's that new identity. You're in Him, and He's in you. What an amazing identity. God honors His Son, and we're in Him, and He's in us. And that's why there's all these spiritual blessings in that realm. But you know, Satan doesn't want us to believe any of this. And Satan's a master. He's called the prince of this world. He's called the god of this world. And there's a lot that goes into all of that. But he uses the world to appeal to our flesh, to appeal to this. See, that sin principle, this former master, seeks to usurp the place of authority that it doesn't have anymore. He's not our master. He's not our authority. But when there are things in the world that appeal to our flesh, there is a resounding yes from indwelling sin. And we feel it. I don't know if it's physiological or not. But you feel it. Have you ever felt the pull towards sin? I mean, you feel it in some cases. Okay. And Satan plays on that and say, see, that's you. But it's not you. And even if you blow it and you yield to sin and thus take the responsibility for it before God, Truth is, it's what Paul says here under inspiration in verse 17. Now then, it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. You know what that is? It's stolen identity. There's our third concept. It's identity theft. It is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. And I'm not even connected to sin in the immaterial part. In that spirit uh, level. And yet... There's an identity theft. You know what? It's a deception. Because the facts are, now, you're not joined to sin. You are joined to Christ in you. You're now in Him at the throne, far above the enemy. You don't have to listen to these lies. So, why are you listening to them? <laughs> Alright? So, the point is, let God sink in what the facts are. And the truth is, when we're defeated, and uh, we go down wrong lines of thinking... And all that kind of stuff. And there are times when there are snares in the world. And, and the, the God of this world has, has set those snares there to appeal to our flesh. And we feel all this. And because we feel the pull, 
within us toward wrong thinking or toward uh, some temptation and, and, and we can feel it, we think it's us. And it's not you! And if you ever want to get to victory, you've got to come to that understanding. It's not you. Now when you yield to it, you take the responsibility for it. And uh, the Lord chastises us to wake us up and so on. The fact is, if Romans 7.17 and Romans 7.20, if words have meaning and if language has integrity, it's not you. It's what he says. It's no more I that do it. But sin that dwelleth in me. That is an identity theft because that's not who we are anymore. So let's go to the fourth concept, the recovered identity, which is revival on the individual level. You know, as he continues on after verse 20, he says, I find in a law that when I would do good, evil is present with me. For I delight in the law of God after the inward man. That's why this is a saved man. An unsaved man can't do that. But I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind, and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. This is what we're talking about. O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? See, you get saved. You're on your way to heaven. Uh, Your destiny has been changed from hell to heaven. All of that's reality and true. And then if you're not careful, you try to live right. That's Romans 7. It's, It's that attempt to do right without the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is left out in this section of verses that we've been looking at. It is what happens when you try to obey the law without the Holy Spirit. It doesn't work. And finally you cry out, oh wretched man that I am. Have you ever done that? Have you ever just, you say, oh man, stink. Pardon the expression. Uh, you know, I'm just sick of it. It's just, oh, this is what I am. Oh wretched man that I am. And yet really, it's not I but sin that dwelleth in me. Because when you're saved, you're not a wretch, you're a saint. You have a new identity, identity, it's just been stolen. And it really isn't, actually, it's deceptive. It's deception. Oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me? No, notice, he doesn't say what shall deliver me. He's tried the what's. Who shall deliver me from the body of this death? I love this. I thank, there's a key word, I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. As Robert Delney puts it, thank your way out of Romans 7 (laughs) to get into Romans 8. Okay? Recovered identity. Recognize, wait a second, this is a stolen identity. This isn't me. Who shall deliver me? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord who moved into you and you're placed into Him. You have that new identity. Claim it! (laughs) Take it with thanks and thank your way out of Romans 7. In other words, you find your mind going down a, a, a road of wrong thinking. Maybe of bitterness. Maybe of anger. Uh... Maybe of feeling the pull towards some snare of temptation in the world. And, 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 and you catch yourself. 
immediately recognize what's going on and say, wait a second, that's not me. I claim my union with Jesus. He's in me and I'm in Him. Therefore, Satan's lies have to go. You know what that is? You're submitting yourself to God and you're resisting the devil. The liar who tries to make you think that this is you. And Brent, I'm going to tell you something. When you grab a hold of truth and say, that's not me. I claim my union in Jesus. With Jesus. Me in Him. Him in me. I claim it. Satan's got to get out of here. Now, remember what Jesus said in John 14. That's just a few hours before the cross. It's a few hours before Judas, filled with Satan, we're told, came to betray Jesus. And you know what Jesus said? John 14:30. The prince of this world cometh, and he hath nothing in me. I'm safe. Now, who's in you? You can talk to them. The Spirit of Jesus, yes. Now, Jesus said, the Prince of this world cometh. Look, He still comes. He comes knocking at our door. Through these lies, through the snares in the world. He puts it all together. He's the Prince of this world. He's the God of this world. He's got all of this stuff working. This system to appeal to our flesh. And that, 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 that evil trinity, as John Hunter puts it, of the world, the flesh, and the devil. It's all working together. And He comes. Just like He came. Jesus said, the Prince of this world cometh. But He has nothing in me. I'm safe. Now friends, we're in Him and He's in us. And when we access Him, Satan has nothing in us. 1 John 4, 4. Greater is He that is in you. Your new identity. With Him. Greater is He that is in you than He that is in the world. Now friends, let the Spirit of God sink it in. This is provision. And see, when you are convinced of the provision, you have a foundation for faith. When dead to sin now means something. Because I used to hear, you know, dead to sin, I don't feel dead to sin. What are they talking about? Okay, this is what they're talking about. It's the fact that we are separated through Jesus and His work of the cross. We're separated from indwelling sin. We're joined to the indwelling Christ. And though sin tries to deceive us, and though sin tries to operate within our flesh, we're joined to Christ. We have a new identity. And this isn't us anymore. Let's let that identity get recovered. This is us. We're Christians. Christ in you. Christ in Ewans. <laughs> That's in West Virginia terminology. Ewans. But uh, there's a new identity. So we can say, that's not me. I claim my union with Jesus. I submit to Him. Satan in the wrong way of thinking has to go. I want to end by having you look at 1 John 5.18. An incredible statement. First John 5.18 says, We know, that's the word that means inherently know. 
as opposed to experientially know. Okay? This is absolute knowledge. And we know that whosoever is born of God sinneth not. Now, if we take that to mean if you're saved, you don't sin, then there's not a saved person in this room. <laughs> Am I right? Okay. That's not what it means, though. The verb tense that's used here, if I can get technical for a second, because it has much practical help. When it says, is born, it is what they call a perfect tense and the passive voice. Obviously, God's the one who regenerates us. There's the passive. But the perfect tense is interesting. The present tense is continuous action. The aorist tense is the fact of an action, generally referring to the past. Not always. The perfect tense is something that happened in the past, but has ongoing ramifications. That's the tense that's used here. Now, if it's just talking about getting saved, it could have been aorist. I believe the very verb tense that's used, especially with the passive voice, is indicating when you access your provision so that the ongoing ramifications now are being accessed. Whosoever is accessing his new birth. Then it says, sinneth not. Why? Because when you access Christ in you, he doesn't sin. Now it makes sense, doesn't it? When you allow yourself to, in other words, when you depend on the provision, he doesn't sin, which means you don't. And as long as we yield to his leadership and yield to his life, he doesn't sin. All right? Then the next phrase says, but he. And I personally believe that the grammar is indicating a reference to Jesus. And it says, But he that is begotten. And that's actually the aorist tense. He who was begotten of God keepeth him. The guy in the first phrase who's accessing the provision. And friends, when that's the case, the last phrase says, And that wicked one toucheth him not. <clears throat> Here's the point. When we yield to the Spirit, when we yield to Christ in us, when He really is the leader, and it's not us trying to access His power to do what we want, but rather we want what He wants, but we can't even do that, so we trust His power. So it's trusting His leadership. We yield to His leadership, and it's trusting His life. We depend on His power. When that's the case, we're accessing the provision of the new birth. We're accessing Christ in us and us in Him. And when that's the case, He who was begotten of God keeps you and the wicked one does not touch you. That's what it says. Okay. Jesus said, Prince of this world cometh. He has nothing in me. Jesus said, Greater is He that is in you than he that is in the world. <laughs> Jesus said, or the Scripture says in 1 John, the wicked one doesn't touch you when you are accessing Christ in you. Why? Because he can't touch him. And we're in him. And he's in us. And friends, when that's the case, he's keeping us. So here's my point. We feel the pull of the world. We, we find our mind running down some, some wrong pattern of thinking. 
uh, 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 jealousy or, or anger or, or, or pride or bitterness, uh, or we feel that pull towards some temptation, some vice, some bad habit that's been there forever, and, and we feel it, we can say, wait a second. That's not me. I claim my union with Jesus. God, thank you for my union with you. Satan and his lies got to get out of here. And you know what you'll find? An immediate liberation. And a protection that is supernatural. And he who was begotten of God is keeping you and not allowing the wicked one to touch you. We're in an identity crisis, but it doesn't have to stay that way. Thank yourself out of Romans 7 and claim your union with Jesus and say, hey, wait a second, that's not me. I claim my union with Jesus. Satan has to go. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Let me just ask before we pray, who would say, you know, the Spirit of God is opening my eyes. I've heard some of these things before, perhaps. Perhaps it's all new, I don't know. Perhaps you've heard it for many years, but perhaps some light is going on and you know the Spirit of God is the one who gives light. He's the convincer. And I wonder who would say, Preacher, I have been allowing my identity to be stolen. And it needs to be recovered. God has shown me truth that can make the difference for that recovery. Would you raise the hand, please? God spoke to me and gave me some light. All right, amen. God bless you. Lord, I pray that you'll bless your truth to our hearts. And Lord, as you sink it all the way in, may we allow you, Spirit of God, to convince us. And Lord, for that one that's just troubling, just, just struggling to, to even grab a hold of it, may they just cry out to you, Lord, to convince them. And Spirit of God, we thank you that you are the convincer. And you as the Spirit of truth, would you guide them into truth and convince them of the truth. And then, Lord, may there be a glad embracing of the truth. And, Lord, may we thank ourselves out of Romans 7. Lord, we thank you for the union that we have with Jesus and for all that you mean by that. God, give us understanding of that. And may we live in that reality through simple faith. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen.